This is the Ambercote Christian Centre podcast. Hello. This is the third podcast in our whole church teaching on how we change when change is hard. Hopefully you've listened to the first two. In the last podcast, I talked about the uh, first kind of key area of transformational change, growing in knowledge of ourselves. And I trust that you've taken the time to digest that and to reflect on the podcast before you come to this one. This time, I'm going to address the second key area of transformational change, which in summary is this, understanding how we shape our hearts through the rhythms and habits of our lives. Like the fir- first podcast, um, I'll spend the first section explaining kind of how and why this is important for us if we want to change. And then in the second section, I'll, I'll start to explore how we actually do that. And I'll try and use plenty of examples, but uh, as ever, this is just a beginning really, uh, to really apply this to your own life. You'll need to take what I say on this podcast as a starting point and then continue to journey with it. So, the shaping of our hearts. To start with, I need to define what I mean by our heart. Clearly, we all realise that I'm not talking about our physical hearts, but that I'm using this as a metaphor to express the inner parts of who we are. And we do this all the time, don't we? For example, you know, you may have heard that someone's, you may have heard it said that someone's heart is in the right place after someone makes a mistake but intended to do good. Or we may say that someone really put their heart into this, this being a piece of work or some kind of achievement or creation. We mean that they put their energy, their effort, their affection into whatever they were doing. And say to you in Christian circles, we tend to talk a lot about the heart, uh, partly because the Bible does. The Bible talks a lot about the thoughts and intentions of the heart about the hardening of hearts, about loving with your heart, knowing in your heart and saying in your heart. Jesus in particular had a lot to say about the heart. For example, that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, or that where your treasure is, there your heart shall be. So this metaphor, which we use it in many different ways, but generally it refers to those inner parts of us where desires, emotions, thoughts and intentions live. And in this podcast, I'm going to be using the metaphor of our hearts to particularly talk about our loves and our desires. What the heart longs for, you may say. The desires of our hearts and so on. Because what we desire, what we love, is crucial to who we become and therefore to how we change. To put it really plainly, there is no greater influence on who we become as people than what we love. There's no greater influence on who we become as people than what we love. You've probably heard the quip, you are what you eat which is true um, in one particular way, I guess. Or you may have come across the whole movement around you are what you think, which spans across kind of self-help, some forms of therapy and Christianized versions as well. And again, this is partially true, 
but in some ways is not true at all. I mean, after all, how many of you keep doing something that you know in your mind you want to stop? You know, how's your thinking going for you in that sense? It seems to me that many times what we think is pretty impotent to affect who we are and what we do. I'd suggest that saying you are what you love is actually far more accurate, that the object of our affections will shape who we are and what we become. Just for the sake of completeness, I would also just say um, that you, you, know, you may have heard the Christian quip, you are what you worship. Well, I, in general, I think that's the same as love. We tend to worship what we love and love what we worship. So for me, those two kind of are not alternatives, but they're different ways of saying the same thing. So then, in the end, we are largely controlled by our desires. It's what we truly want that most determines who we become. And this is why I think that the Bible does talk so much about the heart. You know, change my heart, O God, cries the psalmist. You know, change my longings, my passions, my motivations. But if only it was simple to change our hearts or even to know our hearts. You see, the first complication that we find is that our hearts are often divided. That's why we see the biblical prayer so often of give me an undivided heart. Our hearts are often divided. The things that we love can be incompatible or even in conflict. So to take a silly but a true example, I desire children. I also desire peace and quiet in my mornings. These desires are in conflict with one another. Perhaps more seriously, I may desire a close relationship with my spouse or my friend, but I don't want to talk about my weaknesses. Or I want everyone to like me, but I don't want to change my behaviour. You see, for all of us, the tricky thing is that our desires are mixed up and that they conflict. And on top of this, we may not even be fully aware of what we really desire. One of the books that I've put on the recommended reading for this whole church teaching is by James K.A. Smith. And the book is called You Are What You Love. But the subtitle is, But You May Not Love What You Think. You are what you love, but you may not love what you think. And this is so true. We can hide some of our desires, not only from others, but also from ourselves. We can often think that these desires are kind of unacceptable desires that mean we're bad people, so we squash them away. Or we can have a picture of what we should desire rather than what we actually want. And do you see the links here with the last podcast, you know, coming to understand who we really are? We may not truly know the desires of our hearts, or at least not all of them. The reality is, though, that we do get what we truly want far more often than we realise. For example, I've known people in the past who have repeatedly said to me something like, we'd just love to have you over for dinner, but they've never actually got round to inviting me. Now, probably on one level, they did want to have me over to dinner, but on another level, whether they were aware of it or not, it's quite probable that they didn't want this. They also loved having free evenings, being undisturbed, not having to organise their diary too far in advance, whatever it may be. And in the end, those desires have trumped the desire to have me over for dinner. Or to take a different example, somebody may really want to be there for their family. 
but instead they end up working very long hours and are often absent from their family. Now, I've no doubt that they have a genuine desire to be present with their family on one level. But I would guess that there are other levels of desire as well. A desire to achieve and succeed professionally, perhaps, or a desire for the money that the job brings in. On an even more hidden level, we may have someone who's desperately lonely and really desires friendship, but also has very strong desires not to ever be rejected. And this stops them getting close to anyone, locking them into their loneliness. In all of these examples, the hearts are in conflict. And you can see, hopefully, how this is likely to render us feeling stuck. Often when we're struggling to change, part of the picture is that our desires are disordered and conflicting. When we really begin to reflect on the truth of our desires, the results can actually be a bit uncomfortable. Imagine there was a room in Starbridge with a locked door. And if you have the key and go into this room, all your deepest desires will come true. Now imagine that someone gives you the key would you go into that room? I've asked this question lots of times and the answers are always really interesting. The more I think about it, the more sure I am that I would not go into that room because I know that I have a mix of desires in me. Some are for good things, but some are for bad things and some of them deeply conflict. I deeply desire to be a good and faithful husband but, in truth, at times, there are also desires in me to sleep with whoever I want. I deeply desire to be faithful in my work and calling. But there are also desires in me to have a life of luxury and leisure, and so on. You see, my loves, my affections are disordered, and yet they're shaping who I become. If we accept this, then hopefully we can begin to see why this is so important to transformative change. One key to this kind of change is to have rightly ordered desires, for our hearts to be shaped so that the things that we love direct us towards God and towards change that we need in our lives. Our loves have to take us in the direction we want to go. And here is where I'm going to say something very important. Willpower is simply not enough. Willpower is not enough for transformational change. I mean, just look at your own life. Let's face it, if you could change by just trying harder, you probably wouldn't be listening to this podcast right now. Like, how's willpower going for you? How's that working out? Do you have a pornography habit? Well, how's your willpower working out there? Have you managed three, four weeks clean, maybe even a month or two? I very much doubt your willpower will keep you going much longer than that. Or how about those difficult relationships in your life? Is your sheer willpower to be better, to be nicer, to be more assertive or whatever it may be? Like, how's that going? Willpower is not enough, is it? And we'll come back to that repeatedly. No, we have to experience a change in our desires. We have to truly want to change. And honestly, we may not be at that point at the moment. We may not really want to change. 
sometimes our starting point is that we want to want to change. You see, we're never going to defeat sin by telling ourselves that it's bad and that we must do better. To defeat sin, we have to want something else more than we want our sin. Because sin is so often a misguided attempt to meet a real need. You know, for example, we may have an affair as a misguided attempt to meet the real need of affection and intimacy. We may gossip as a misguided attempt to meet the real need of friendship. To leave our sin behind, we have to desire a better solution to the real problem. So this is a big question then for us. How do we change our hearts? How do we shape our desires? I've already said on the first podcast that we can't, what we can't do is just lean back in our seats and say, wow, only God can change my heart. Over to you, Jesus. But we also know that we can't change them just by trying hard to be different or by just telling ourselves that our current behaviour is bad. So how do we change our desires and the things that we love? What can we do about all of this? The key, I think, is to understand and see that everything we do in our lives, all that is done to us, is formational. It forms us. It shapes us to be a certain kind of person. If you think about us physically, our muscles are developed through use. A baby has to thrash its arms and legs about repeatedly for the muscles to grow and develop in order then to be able to use them to walk. What we eat and drink every day and the way we use our body largely dictates the way it grows and develops. What we repeatedly do, the rhythms and the content of all of our life is constantly shaping us. And this is happening all of the time all of the time. You can't choose whether your life is going to be shaped or not. It's being shaped right now. Every minute of this day, you are being formed into a certain kind of person. There's no neutral space that you can stand in and say, will I choose to be formed today or not? No, you are being formed all the time. And so am I. Some of you will be familiar with church liturgy. Traditionally, we probably think of liturgy as set readings or prayers that we use when we worship together. But do you know why every significant branch of the church that has ever existed has developed liturgies? Because the idea is that the patterns of our worship shape who we become as people. So the church has thought about the patterns of worship it wants to use to shape the people who use them. We might want to take this idea and extend it to the whole of life. What are the liturgies of our lives like? How is the content of our days that we repeat over and over again? How is that shaping our worldview, our character, our desires? and so on. You know, you may have heard a saying like a bad company spoils good character. Most of us know that this is true, but why is it true? It's true because who we spend time with impacts the content of our lives, which impacts who we become. So if we want to change, and the change is hard, 
then we'll need to think through how our current lives are shaping us. Because the uncomfortable truth is this, your life is perfectly designed to give you the results that you're getting. Some of you have probably heard that more in a business context. Your business is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting. But the same is true of life. The patterns, the rhythms, the habits of your life will be shaping you into the person that you are. The results, you know, what you're actually experiencing, are going to be understood at least in part by looking at the shape of your life. Take the person who struggles with stress, for example, and wishes that they could change to be a less stressful person. Well, it may be that the case, in this case, that the person's day-to-day life is filled with conflict, unresolved relational tension, long hours of work, and a TV addiction that means that they don't get very much sleep. Well, I would suggest that this person's life is perfectly designed to give them the results they're getting. The rhythms and patterns of their life shape them into someone who rushes about from one moment to another in a stressful cycle of survival and collapse. If we need to understand why we have the relationships that we have, or the lack of relationships that we have, we probably need to understand what is shaping the way we relate to others in our days. And of course, this kind of thing links to exploring our iceberg because the rhythms and habits of our lives are often decisions that we're making because of a lot of what's in our iceberg, because of our past, because of the things that have happened in life and so on. These areas link and overlap a great deal. I guess what I'm saying is very similar to what others have said about the power of habit. The habits of our lives is just another way of talking about rhythms and patterns and liturgies. The habits of our lives are hugely important in shaping who we become and revealing who we are. So if we want to change, we need to think about what kind of habits and rhythms of life are actually going to facilitate the kind of change that we seek. We will need to identify some rhythms and habits that are getting in the way of change and others that we need to put in place to facilitate change. And here's why I want to come back to the place of willpower. Now just imagine if I told each of you who are listening to this podcast to get up tomorrow, get out of bed and run a marathon. Imagine, moreover, that I've told you that you must try really hard to run a marathon. You must put every ounce of willpower you have into running that marathon without stopping. What's going to happen? Well, in truth, most of you are going to make it a couple of miles at the most before you collapse in a heap. Some of you may make it into double figures of miles before you fall over, but almost none of you will be actually able to run a marathon. And of course not. It would be crazy, wouldn't it, to think that you can just run a marathon by getting up one day and trying. We know it doesn't work like that. You'd have to create a rhythm of running growing in distance and intensity over time, linked with what you eat and drink, and over a period of time, many of you could in fact run a marathon. But it's not trying really hard in the moment that enables you to do that, it's training. And so too with transformative change, we need to think about training hard rather than trying hard. 
It's putting in place the rhythms and habits in our lives that allow us to change. There's a few different ways we might see this. First, we could use Paul's picture from Galatians 5 about sowing, where he encourages us not to sow to the flesh, but to sow to the spirit. The picture is about investing in the long term in one direction rather than another. Or again, we might think about the classical spiritual disciplines or holy habits as they're sometimes called. Dallas Willard, another author on the recommended reading list, writes profoundly on the disciplines and he describes them as the things that we can do that allow us to change in order to do the things that we can't do. The things that we can do that allow us to do the things that we can't do by direct effort. And we're so used to thinking this way when it comes to physical training or even in gaining skills and abilities in work. You know, nobody thinks they're going to be a good doctor by just turning up and trying hard. They know they need to train over a period of time. But we don't often think like this when it comes to personal spiritual growth or emotional growth, to mental struggles or to relational change. But in fact, the principles remain true. Transformational change is a long-term process that is about training rather than trying by about paying attention to the habits and rhythms of our lives. Now you may ask, but surely you're not saying it's not about trying at all, that we don't have to apply any effort, and you'd be right. There is a place for effort and for willpower, but the place of effort is in the training. To return to our marathon image, you will need to put in effort to go through the training programme. If you're stuck and you can't change, it's probably not going to budge by just trying harder. You'll probably need to redirect your effort into habits and rhythms that will change your desires, that will allow you to change. Let's talk through some examples to try and kind of bring this together. Take the anxious person who spends a lot of their time worrying and wishes they could change. Now, we might try telling them that they just need to try harder to stop worrying or we might kind of beat them up a bit and make them feel guilty for how much they worry but that's not going to work in fact probably for anyone who struggles with anxiety they've already tried that they've already tried really hard and tried feeling really guilty and it hasn't worked instead what we need to do is explore the iceberg we need to understand what is going on deep inside them that makes sense of their anxieties. But we also need to examine the habits and the liturgies of their lives. Worry, anxiety is often a form of avoidance. Rather than facing up to the relationship, the conflict, the insecurity, whatever it is, we worry about it instead. So the anxious person will usually need to develop patterns and habits of confronting rather than avoiding. Usually an anxious person will have lots of patterns in their life to distract themselves, whether that's using screens, talking a lot, making sure they're always busy, being very dependent on one or two relationships which help them avoid the things they're trying to avoid, whatever it may be. If this anxious person really wants to change, they will need to stop shaping their hearts in these ways and learn to shape them in other ways, to desire an integrated life, to desire resolution and peace, 
and these desires will need new rhythms to support them. Or take the addicted person, whether this is about alcohol, food, porn, drugs, work, whatever. The addicted person will not change by simply trying harder next time. In fact, that's part of the addiction cycle, the internal vow to never do it again, which is inevitably followed by failure, which causes pain and depression and guilt, with which we self-medicate with our addiction and so on and so on. Usually there are whole patterns of living that reinforce the addiction, as well as emotional or mental dysfunctions or um, things that have gone wrong. So as well as exploring the iceberg, the addicts will need new patterns and habits of life. And in truth, many of us are addicts in one form or another. Or take me to get personal. I shared on the first podcast how I need to slow the pace of my life down. I need to become less driven. I need to constantly guard against relapsing into my historic addiction to pornography. And in order to do all these things, yes, I need to go deeper into my iceberg. I need to face the truth about my desires. I desire success and approval. On some level, I desire to justify my life by my achievements. On some level, I desire the instant hit of relaxation and pleasure that can come with acting out sexually. Of course, these aren't my only desires. I desire a life marked by the peace of God, marked by joy and holiness. I desire to enjoy my children and my family. I desire to have time for all the gifts that life gives and for an ever deeper relationship with God, with my wife and with my friends. I desire to obey and serve Jesus with every part of my being. So as well as wrestling with who I am and understanding why I am the way I am, I need a whole host of patterns and rhythms and habits that will shape my heart to desire what is truly good and help me to keep changing. One key habit I'm working on right now is the habit of leaving my laptop at work at the end of each day to not bring it home. Um, when it comes home with me, I'm much more likely to check emails, to follow the football, to think about work, or just to uh, keep doing something rather than letting myself slow down on the inside. And if I bring my laptop home and just try hard not to do that, at some point my willpower fails. So I need to establish a new habit of making sure it's not at home. That's the place where I'm applying my effort at the moment. There are other habits I'm working on as well. Saying no more often and making sure my diary doesn't get too full playing musical instruments more often and developing other life-giving habits, for example. Maybe it's also worth saying that some of the changes I've had to make in previous years to shape me. For example, I don't have a smartphone and never have had one. All my computers have web accountability software on them and I have no access to search engines. I have no access to any computers that aren't my own. You know, practically, this can be a right pain in the neck, but it shapes who I am towards freedom. I've put in place regular rhythms of meeting friends, 
going on retreats, having holidays, playing football, and doing other things that I enjoy. All of these rhythms are contributing to the ongoing change in me, change that could never happen just by trying hard in the moment. I hope that those examples help to make sense of this. It's the habits, the rhythms, the spiritual disciplines that are in place, that are the place for the application of effort, but they are means and not ends. For many years now, I've had rhythms of prayer and reading the Bible in my life. Not perfect in the sense that they happen every day, come what may, but real, reliable, rhythmic, habitual. But I know it's no good just aiming to have kind of half an hour, 20 minutes of reading the Bible every day just for its own sake, so you can tell yourself a proper Christian and feel less guilty when you pray. That's no good at all. In fact, if that's the kind of motivating factor, then you're just relying on willpower. And I would be surprised if you can keep that going particularly long. No, the aim has to be a true aim. For example, that you want to know more of God's love personally in your life. That's a real aim. <laughs> and the means by which you move towards this aim may be to read the Bible. It may be to meditate on passages that describe the love of God. It may be to grow in prayer. But these are means, they're not ends. They're habits and rhythms that shape us so that we will become people who truly desire and know God. And this is the same with all habits and rhythms. So to sum this podcast up, if we want to experience transformational change in areas where we're currently stuck, yes, we'll probably need to explore our iceberg as we talked about on the last podcast, but we will also need to, first of all, identify where we want to change. Second, identify how our lives are currently shaping us and the conflicting desires that are playing out. Third, we probably need to work out how our hearts need to be shaped so that we truly desire the change that we want. And finally, we have to put in place the rhythms and the habits that will shape our heart towards these desires. Before we finish, uh, there may be a question knocking around in your minds that's something like this. Yes, Tim, I understand what you're saying, but where on earth is the Holy Spirit in all of this? What about the intervention of God? You haven't talked about that at all. Don't we need him in the mix? Well, yes, absolutely we do. The role of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus said in John's Gospel, is to be the paraclete, the one who comes alongside us to encourage, to convict and to empower us. But he does so to form us into the image of Jesus. And this formation is the day-to-day -day content of our lives. Let me take an illustration, uh, which I'm going to nick from another pastor called John Mark Comer. He, um, he described this situation. My daughter is learning to play the piano. She's doing quite well, but still in the early stages. Imagine if she could play Mozart, though. That would be the most amazing and beautiful thing. Well, surely the Holy Spirit can empower her to do that. He can give her the supernatural ability to change into an amazing pianist. So say that I sit down and I pray and I beg for God to do this. And just imagine if he does. 
And this evening, my daughter sits down and plays the most beautiful Mozart recital I've ever heard. That would be fantastic. But what about tomorrow? If she's going to do it tomorrow, then I need another miracle and I need the special intervention of the Holy Spirit again. But God doesn't tend to work like that, does he? Instead, if my daughter is going to play Mozart, she will need to practice her scales, learn the techniques of a pianist, and repeated rhythms of practice over time. If she does that, she will be able to play Mozart, but not as a one-off miracle, but because she's been formed to be able to play Mozart. This is the same with all the change that we seek. If I pray really, really hard that tomorrow God will make me a gentle and a kind person, maybe in his grace, by the power of Holy, the Holy Spirit, I will be gentle and kind tomorrow. But what about the next day? What about next week? Either I'm going to be asking for a miracle every day of my life, or I can work with the Holy Spirit to pay attention to the whole of my life so that I will be formed into a person that's gentle and kind without needing a miracle every day. You see, the Holy Spirit is involved in all of this. It's not only when it's spontaneous or special or miraculous that the Holy Spirit's involved. In fact, the Holy Spirit is far more markedly involved in the changing of patterns over time, in the examining of all of our lives. It's all about becoming more like Jesus. We work, there's no kind of antithesis here between rhythms and habits and the work of God. We work with God in working out the shape of our lives, that our hearts would be transformed so that we may truly change. So there you go. Repeated action over time forms who we are. Hopefully you can see how heavily this links with growing an understanding of ourselves, the last podcast, and you may already be reflecting on how this links with the subject of our next podcast, which is community. If so, that's great. I've separated them out into separate podcasts in order for us to think about them more clearly. But really, they all come very closely together in the journey of transformational change. I'll pray for us and then we'll finish this podcast. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you not only died for our sins, but you came to show us how to live. As we receive your forgiveness and your love, help us to change the rhythms and patterns of our lives, to live your way so that we may change and be free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Amblecote Christian Centre's podcast. For more information about who we are, what we believe and how you can get involved, check out our website www.amblecotechristiancentre.org.uk.